Welcome to episode 26 of the Infectious Historians podcast. I'm Merle Eisenberg. And I'm Lee Mordecai. Today is Sunday, September 3rd. So happy Labor Day weekend to everyone who celebrates and to your family. Given that it's Labor Day, we decided that we would have a shorter episode between just the two of us so that, you know, if you want to go have a barbecue later today or go swim in the pool one last time, you could do that. And we're also going to discuss something that Lee has been really, really excited about talking about on the podcast, which are pandemic games. Yeah, so I guess this episode I'm going to be pretty excited about and Merle is going to be pretty sarcastic about. Now, I thought originally that pandemic games are very popular, but they don't really get that much attention on the academic side, even though they're very interesting cultural creations. So today we're going to focus on two games in the main part of the episode. These would be Pandemic and Plague Inc. So before we get into that, maybe we can give a short update on what's happening. What's life like in Jerusalem these days, Lee? I know you just moved. Yeah, so we moved in the same, in the same street, a few houses down the street. So things are more or less the same. We, we're, we're getting more daily infections. We're actually breaking the record at this point. We have more than a thousand deaths these days. So it's so definitely not a good time. We're still talking about quarantine. It was actually like a big discussion now, just as we recorded this. So maybe by the point that listeners would be able to listen to this, we might be in quarantine again. So we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. The school year has opened and unsurprisingly is a mess, but that I guess is the case everywhere now, or almost everywhere. How are things in Annapolis? In the same way, I think, you know, rates have been about the same, but they're starting to tick upward in Maryland as a whole. On Friday at 5 p.m., Maryland opened up indoor dining to a higher percentage. Um, I'm quite sure this is because they wanted money over Labor Day weekend more than anything else. And I think they also opened up theaters to an extent, maybe even, you know, we'll see how long that actually lasts for them. I'm not particularly optimistic. And, you know, we'll also see what happens with the University of Maryland itself. I know they tested all the student athletes last week, and they found 51 positive cases. And so they shut down the sports teams, all of them. So that's, you know, going particularly well. But let's turn to talk about your, you know, one of your first loves, Lee, which are games. Now, for some reason, I'm unclear about this, Medievalists, of which Lee and I are both medievalists, seem to be super into big strategy type board games. It's, uh, I think, our super dorky, nerdy thing of choice, right? I think every field has its own nerdy, dorky, super thing that they do. Now, I enjoy playing some of these board games, I'll admit. And so, you know, most, some of this won't be sarcastic, but it's also never really been my thing completely. Wait, so which, which board games did you play or have you been playing? Well, I haven't played board games in a while, but I played Diplomacy, which is a fun game. Um, I, I have made people get very upset and kind of throw the board. So I've done that. I've played Access and Allies and that kind of stuff, um, but not for okay, so, Yeah, that, that's like pretty old school, both of those. <laughs> but what kind of games are we talking about here? Are we talking about video games, this pandemic ink, board games? What is this? So games are really a huge topic and a huge industry. 
The, the video game industry is, is the largest and richest among these. I looked up some numbers. So in 2018 alone, the video game industry produced about $135 billion in sales. So it's actually a bigger industry than Hollywood. Hollywood's ticket sales reach about $11 billion. Even the global film industry, so Hollywood, Bollywood, all the other national film industries. So all that together reaches roughly the same. So about $136 billion, I think, in box office sales and home entertainment. So things like Netflix, for example. Now, video games are still growing quickly as an industry, so they're going to surpass the film industry. And as for demographics in the United States, it might be interesting to, for listeners to hear that the average age of, of gamers is 35. That could, might, might surprise my parents, I guess. And also the male to female ratio is 60 to 40, so, so not as nearly as male-dominated as some might suspect. Other than video games, there are several other types of games that would also be relevant for our episode's topic, right? So things such as board games or role-playing games, but these are really much smaller industries. Board games, for example, are somewhere around 7.5 billion. Now, within each of these broad types of games, pandemics actually feature in many different titles or specific games. And depending on how we actually define pandemic, these games might include, for, for example, cases where the pandemic happens in the background and maybe frames the broader plot of the game. So the pandemic can be a zombie apocalypse or perhaps just an apocalyptic plague that kills everyone. And some of these games have really been very popular. Okay. So lots of types of games. They apparently make a lot of money. Older people than I would have suspected play these games. God bless them. But what's an example of maybe one of these video games that apparently people our age are still playing like? All right, so one uh, recent video game releases that has something to do with a pandemic is The Last of Us 2. And this follows the really highly acclaimed original. So The Last of Us, Last of Us 1, I guess. So in this game, for example... Just curious, how can there be a Last of Us again? Well, you'd have to play to understand that, but it's actually a pretty good plot for the first game. In, in both games, you play as survivors during a zombie apocalypse. For the second game, specifically, you play two young women. I think they're around 18 or 20 or so. And you encounter both zombies and people. And in this sense, it's not very different from The Walking Dead, let's say, although I, again, would say that it's much better written, despite some controversy about the sequel, so The Last of Us 2. Now, if I mentioned The Walking Dead, there's, there's also, of course, a few of, of those Walking Dead video games. The Shooter, for example, which is a just shoot-to-kill zombies, or in more of an interactive story, that's a different game in which you play within The Walking Dead world and maybe meet some of the characters as part of another story plot that, that takes place in that world. So yeah, pandemics can be pretty important for the plots of games, some of which would, again, be pretty narrative-heavy. Others might be as simple as just shooting and killing as many zombies as you can with a very superficial plot. And then there are also games that focus on pandemics, and I thought those might be more interesting to our audience. Okay, so there's a bunch of types of games that maybe interest different types of people. Everything from, you know, old school Duck Hunter, is that the name of the game? You know, the first shooting game? <laughs> yeah, I remember Duck Hunter. Yeah, all the way to, you know, some of the last games I think I played when I was in college. But, you know, it seems to also be good old uh, capitalism at its finest here, Lee, right? The Walking Dead comic creator, whose name I can't remember, he's probably just swimming in a, uh, a pool full of money 
everything that just keeps coming out, it just keeps making more and more money. But let's put that aside for now. And what games did you actually want to talk about today? Both maybe a board game and a video game. Yeah, so first, you don't have to sound that enthusiastic and connect capitalism to everything because you can really connect capitalism to much more than just video games or games, broadly speaking. But to get back to the topic, today I thought that we could focus on two extremely popular games that, again, hopefully would be of interest to our audience, including those who might not play regularly. So, so these would be relatively simple entry-level games that, that really aim for a mass market. We're going to cover the board game Pandemic and the video game Plague Inc. or Plague Incorporated. And both of these received a lot of attention even before COVID, and we'll talk about that as, as well maybe. Okay, so I think that's a nice overview of one of each type. And maybe we should start with the board game, Lee, because I at least might play that someday, and I have less problematic thoughts, we'll say, about the genre. So what's the deal with pandemic? I mean, I assume it's about a pandemic, uh, probably trying to stop it and not trying to kill the whole world. That was a great deduction there that a game called Pandemic is about a pandemic. Well, great job there. So yeah, Pandemic was really developed in the context of the SARS pandemic in the early 2000s. And since it was first published in 2008, received lots of awards and subsequently expansions or alternative versions of the basic game, which we, we might discuss a bit further. Now, Pandemic is a cooperative board game. That means that at least the basic version can be played by two to four players who are supposed to cooperate. And there, everyone either wins together or loses together. So it's essentially you're part of a team. Cooperation, interestingly. So it sounds more like socialism to me and not a proper American, do it alone, save the world yourself kind of game. Um, world War Z would not approve. And maybe also not what we're seeing during the COVID pandemic, but we can leave that aside for now. So uh, how does everyone win or everyone lose? How does that actually work? All right, so, so uh, it, there's actually an interesting story about cooperation here. The, the designer here played with his partner and they didn't like playing against each other, so he just ended up designing a game in which they could play together. And that could be a bit more helpful or, or more conducive to the relationship, I guess. I don't know. In my relationship, we, we, we do both, right? So we play against each other and cooperate every once in a while. But again, to bring things back to pandemic, so the premise of this game is that players are an elite response team. Their goal is really to cure diseases. Now, all of a sudden, in, in the game world, there are four diseases that, are, that all break out at roughly the same time in four areas around the world. So these areas would be roughly Europe and North America, Central and South America and Africa, East Europe and Central Asia, and East Asia. So there's plenty of stuff to do in the game. Now, as an interesting design feature, the diseases are not named. They're simply represented by cubes of four colors. But the designers did leave empty spaces where you could, where, where you as a player could name these diseases. So just like write it on a map. It, the game is played on a map of the world on which is transposed a network of cities. And these are mostly large cities such as New York or Cairo or Beijing. And certain choices of course were made here. And we can talk a bit more about which cities were included and which ones weren't. But anyway, the map shows the continents, but includes no national borders. 
this implies that the world is somehow united in trying to mobilize against disease, or actually really the four different diseases. Sounds nice and unrealistic, considering we know that Canada's had a much better response to all of this than, say, the United States, and we actually, well, the Canadians actually sealed the borders against us. So, you know, good job, board designers. But how do do you play the game, maybe, then? Well, okay, I'm not, first of all, I'm not going to get into North American rivalries, and that's like not not anything I'm going to do. But more broadly, these games aren't really supposed to be realistic, right? And it's important to remember them. Now, in the past, you mentioned axes and alleys uh, earlier on. In the past, there was a movement, a pretty strong movement towards simulation games, which is to say attempting to simulate reality as, as, as much as you can, right? So put in lots of different rules, very, very thick rule books, very long games. That is not no longer really the case for, I would say, almost all the games that are, are designed for the, the broad market. There might be specialized board games that are focused on more, more of those heavy simulation games, but those are, broadly speaking, much less popular. So what these games are supposed to do is to somehow balance fun, some realism, and really crafting an experience for players. So having players finish the game with some substantial, enjoyable experience. So in Pandemic, each of the players in the game plays the role of a unique character. So, and these characters have skills that help them in the game. So for example, the scientist character is better, and they're more efficient, really, in researching disease cures. The medic character is good in healing, so we can treat diseases better. The dispatcher can use their turn to move other players, for example, right, to just move them on the board instead of moving himself. On their turns, players move around the world trying to treat these diseases over the short run while also trying to develop a cure over the long run, right? So there's a short run objective and a long run objective. Now, players move between cities. What they really do, I mean, on the board is remove disease cubes from these cities while also collecting cards that represent knowledge which is necessary for the cure. Every every turn, diseases appear on the board. And if you don't treat these diseases, if if these cubes accumulate, an outbreak will happen. And this will spill over cubes to all adjacent cities. Now, outbreaks are really big events in the game. And if too many of them happen, so everyone loses, right? So this is like a lose condition. Now, the thing is, again, that outbreaks can trigger additional outbreaks. So a fairly common experience in this particular game is that you as a player really feel on top of things, but then an outbreak chain might happen and lose you the game, like maybe in the last turn. That happened to me like multiple times. And the game is very well balanced, so many attempts to play really end up pretty close either way. All right, so people are racing around to stop diseases, which again, seems to have really worked right now. Um, But I'm also guessing aside from that, just minor issue, that the game maybe is from the US and probably has some inherent biases perhaps. How does that reflect the way in which the game is played and the way in which you stop some of the diseases? Yeah, I think both of those are great questions. So, the idea of people moving around the world and trying to stop or cure diseases, I think as we've seen with COVID now, I'm not sure how realistic that really is, but that's definitely part of the popular conception of how 
authorities are supposed to stop diseases, right? If, if we get, go back to the movie episode that we had with Robert Alpert, so he mentioned two movies there, right? So Outbreak and Contagion, and in both those movies, moving around, so an expert, a scientific expert, moving around is, is necessary to find a cure. So I think this is what's reflected in the game. It's not necessarily the realistic way, but it is the popular culture way. Now, you mentioned also the, the fact that this game was produced in the United States, was made and, and produced in the United States. And yes, so perhaps because of that, pandemic is, is very American-centric. So for example, all the players begin in Atlanta. Atlanta is the location of the CDC, so the, the Centers for Disease Control. And from this place, they go and travel the world and help everyone else, really. Atlanta is also the only research center, so there's, there's actually a piece for this, a game piece for this. Atlanta is only the this only center on the board when the game begins. Incidentally, these research centers are the only locations where you as a player can discover a cure. So essentially, unless you want to build another research center, which is something you can do, you have to go back to the United States to research the cure there. So the game is implying that this kind of high-level research can only happen in the US, at least originally. Now, during the game, players can also use their own resources to build new research centers everywhere, elsewhere. But again, these other research centers are based on player decisions rather than, let's say, local initiatives. So I guess that could be seen by some as some kind of benign imperialism. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, how the game and, you know, these movies you talk about all came from the same idea of, I think, what Priscilla Wald's reflected upon as the outbreak narrative. But what's actually pretty interesting is how different our own experience right now seems to be for much of this. Okay, so this is a hugely popular game. Um, and you mentioned expansions or alternatives. What does that mean? I'm you know, pretty clueless, as I said, about most of these. I play the, the simple, straightforward games. Risk would be another one. Like. So that's, there's actually like alternative versions for Risk, too. If, yeah, good board games generally get expansions. And, and these are often cheaper maybe than the base game and add to it. So add different rules, different pieces, different cards or whatever. Actually, for Pandemic Moral, you might be interested in the Pandemic Fall of Rome game, which uses really similar mechanics to the Pandemic game to represent the fall of the Roman Empire, which is one of our favorite topics, I guess. And in that game, players play as Romans who are trying to establish their kingdoms really in the West while dealing with barbarians the standard barbarians, so the Vandals, the Huns, the Visigoths. So I guess that, that's really a tangent to the main topic here. Are there bad Romans too? Yeah. I mean, you're fighting against other Romans, right? You're trying to like pay barbarians to go fight other Romans instead of you. Strange. And then I'll ask my other question, since this is called Pandemic, and you've never mentioned the pandemic that happened. So is the Justinianic plague central to that? That would seem to, I don't know, make sense? Well, not really. I mean, I, I guess the fall of Rome story is more attractive than an actual pandemic. So, yeah, it, I mean, so it's a game about a pandemic that has nothing to do with the pandemic that they could have used to talk about. Yes, that is true. I'm sure that if you want to, you can try to, to market yourself as a consultant or something. 
Maybe that's the solution for all of us, Lee. We just design board games and be historical consultants for the board games. I do know that one of our shared acquaintances from grad school actually was hoping, kind of hoping to do this as a career. That did not work out for well, you know, that seems to be somewhat of a failure of genre and imagination of, on the pandemic designer's part. So good job by the creators. Okay, so that's one alternative version, traveling back in time, I suppose, not doing a pandemic, even though it's about a pandemic. Are there other alternatives? Yeah, so actually the most important alternative version of pandemic is called Pandemic Season 1. Not a very creative name, I guess. But this is a legacy game. And legacy games in this context means that you play the same game multiple times, but you're playing it as part of a campaign or really a storyline or, or a narrative that, that builds up between games, so between different sessions of game. So the broader game, the pieces themselves, right? So these change based on what happens in the story. So for example, this might mean that suddenly you get new rules or you know, several cities on the board collapse or say, get new cards that, that appear in the game, right? Or you have to remove old cards, actually tear them up, right? So sometimes the game actually tells you, tear this card up. The characters you play, right? So the, all those roles that we mentioned, the scientist and the medic and so on. So some of these guys might sustain psychological damage from having to deal with, I guess, diseases for so long. Now this particular version, the, this legacy season one pandemic is hugely successful really. And, when this came out like five years ago, it was considered to be the best board game in the world and is still number two today. So it's, it's really successful. So this sounds like a franchise mode of a video game, right? That you play it for like 10, 15 years, quote unquote, and you play repeated seasons over and over. Yeah, I think video games have really influenced the creation of legacy games and, and board games. So the most important question now, should I play this pandemic game, maybe in its original form first? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's worth playing at least once and, and seeing how it is. And if, if you have difficulties finding other people to play with, of course you can play solo, which means that you can play by yourself, really. But yeah, I would definitely recommend trying it out. I think it, it sells for pretty cheaply on Amazon, at least the basic version. So yeah, that, that would be my recommendation here. All right, fair enough. I probably won't, but you know, thanks for the recommendation. <laughs> so it's all, it's all about experiences, Merle. Yeah, you should try some new things. Yeah, sure, with all my time. It, maybe that should be like our, our, our question at the end of one of these episodes. What new experiences have you done recently? <laughs> <laughs> Got my kids to go to sleep is the answer. <laughs> well, that, that, that is heroic. Yeah, I can definitely yeah, identify with that. Okay, so that's the board game. You mentioned a computer, a video game, something, Plague, something. What is this? Yeah, so this would be Plague Inc., right? Or Plague Incorporated. And that's a very different game, although it's also very extremely successful, really. And I'm here as well, I'm gonna focus on the original and most popular version, which has been installed in over hundred million devices worldwide. So again, hugely successful. And this is free to play. So 
once we finish recording, Merle, if you really want to do that and your kids are asleep, maybe you can download it and play it for yourself. Yeah, thanks. Uh, pass. My hard rule is I don't download games on my phone. And I don't know who has the time for this stuff. I mean, you have kids, Lee. Where do you find the time for this? <laughs> yeah, that, that, it is more challenging, I have to say, but you just make time, right? Personally, I usually just stay late and do this. But uh, more broadly speaking, a lot of people actually play, right? So statistics again, over 150 million Americans play video games. So apparently a lot of people do have time. So you can get into the demographics, but that might be for, for a different podcast. But anyway, so Plague Inc. Is a, is a single player game, right? So it's not you cooperating with anyone. It's not you like going against other people. It's really you against the, the game itself. And you as a player here, you, you take the role of the disease itself which you really begin the game by naming. So you name your, yourself as a disease. And your role in this game is to infect and kill the entire world before humanity as a collective humanity, again, kind of similar to, to the previous game, develops a cure. So if humanity develops a cure, you lose the game. If you kill everyone, you win. Pretty simple. So it's funny. I was actually being sarcastic at the start of this, saying that obviously you play the role of humans, but here you've reversed it and you've actually playing the role of a disease. So the diseases now have agency and the humans as a collective don't have agency, which is a fascinating flip around of the script and maybe tells us something about the times we live in. I think it's actually fascinating when you think about it, right? So a hundred million people around the world, give or take, let's say, have downloaded a game in which they're supposed to play a disease that is supposed to wipe out humankind, right? It's like kind of weird when you think about it. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm kind of curious, are more people playing this during COVID in the sense that they have more time in their hands? I mean, this would be a game I would not want to play during COVID. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people are dying. But I guess probably people are doing this more, I would guess, because they have more free time. But I'd be interested to know the stats on that. Yeah, so more people have been playing this. The game has also been outlawed in China, so you're not supposed to play this. You cannot play this after because of COVID. But I guess in other countries, it's okay. I mean, I, I downloaded and played it during COVID, yeah. Interesting. So what does the general setup of the game look like? All right, so like Pandemic, so Plague Inc. is also played on a world map, right? So, so same thing, but here the map is divided into countries or regions, so not the cities of pandemic. And some of these countries are grouped into, let's say, East Africa, which I guess implies that those places are seem less important to the designers, developers, maybe also the players. Maybe that's what, what the designers and developers expected the players to do, to think. And some countries are really just removed from the game. For, so for example, Tunisia is just part of Algeria again. I mean, that doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, I would guess that you know, the percentage of people who know where Tunisia is on a map who play this game, or really not just play this game, but writ large in America, right, is very low. So they probably don't even notice that it's gone, right? I mean, this was, you know, during the height of the Iraq war, when you asked people where Iraq was, and it was like 20% of people or something knew where Iraq was, that was kind of the problem. 
how does the game actually work then? Well, I mean, th that, that's part of my point though, right? So first of all, many of the players of this game are not Americans. But secondly, I, I think the game's representation of the world conveys some shared expectation about which place may be more important or more interesting than other places. And it might be worth just checking out. I mean, Africa in general is grouped into North Africa, East Africa, South Africa, I think, Central Africa, and so on. Other places are, are more differentiated, I'd say. But anyway, you begin the game, you begin playing by, by choosing a starting country, right? When, when you first, where you, your disease would first appear. So you choose the, the starting country and you're actually beginning the game on the date in which you're playing, as in today which again is a pretty interesting design decision. It's, I guess it's supposed to convey more realism in this game. Now, countries in this game differ by their wealth, their climate, and maybe roughly their, their density. And you have to understand these to make your disease more effective. So as a disease or a virus in your first game, although you can play as other pathogens such as bacteria in subsequent games, you're supposed to evolve. And as you infect people in your starting country, you get what the game calls DNA points. You're supposed to use these DNA points to evolve new traits. For example, you can become airborne or start using insects hosts to spread. And you also evolve symptoms, which can be things such as coughing or sneezing, but also seizures or paranoia. And by evolving these symptoms, you have some influence over how infectious and how lethal your virus is. Again, the point is to eventually kill everyone. And this evolution part is really one part that has drawn some positive attention to the game, although it, to me it seems unjustified, right? So evolution doesn't mean an organism gets to evolve to do everything, which is what happens in the game. So you're not, they're not supposed to be airborne, waterborne, transmitted by livestock, insects, and so on and so on. Yeah, but in the game it does. Now you're on the realism Bentley, but in any case, you make the virus bigger and better as you go along. I suppose like the opposite of pandemic where you figure out ways to stop it, now you're trying to spread it. So how does that work? Right, so as you spread and you infect and kill people, so the world or the different countries in the world respond by beginning to research a cure. Now, the higher the threat they perceive, the more resources they're going to invest in the cure, which again means you're gonna lose the game. So I think Broad strategy is go one of two routes. Either try to kill everyone as quickly as possible before a cure is developed, or infect people with very mild symptoms that don't draw too much attention. And once you infect several billion people, make your pathogen more lethal and kill them. And this doesn't really make much sense, right? So if a pathogen kills all its hosts, it'll die off as well. But anyway, so the countries that are hit hard enough will start to enact various measures to stop or maybe slow you from spreading, such as quarantining or maybe killing different animals through which you as the disease spread. And they eventually begin executing people as well to prevent infection and finally fall into anarchy. And I guess this sounds reasonable, maybe, but in my place, some of these countries are very slow to respond, right? So some countries began closing their borders only after my virus killed 4 billion people worldwide. So unrealistic. If, if you if you want to hammer on the realistic, yeah, and they also take a very long time until they begin to research cures, 
right? So sometimes in my case, at least they waited for like tens of million people to die and then they started researching. So I assume this is a faster game than the board game, which I imagine is a fairly slow game as most board games are. So how long does this take? Yeah, so Pandemic, the board game that I mentioned, could take maybe 45 minutes or so. I'd say maybe 45, maybe maybe an hour for one game. I mean, these are, again, newer board games compared to the old ones you mentioned. So Diplomacy and Axis and Allies, those could be like hours long, like many hours long. But Pandemic is much faster, like 45 minutes to an hour. A Plague Inc., I would say, maybe would take around 30 minutes or so to play a game from start to finish. Okay. And so then aside from the geographic removal of multiple countries and the melding of others, I guess we could say, what are some other biases and prejudices that this game has built into it that maybe perpetuate various problems in the narrative that people then learn about diseases and pandemics? Yeah, so as you read into these games and you think about the decisions that the creators, designers, developers have made, I mean, there are some pretty interesting things you could talk about, right? So for example, I mentioned that in an, a regular game, you could choose where to begin. But the tutorial, which is what you're supposed to play when you play this for the first time, kind of tells you how to play the game. So there, the game actually chooses where you're going to begin. and here you start off in China. I guess that implies that maybe diseases originate from China or is this is something that, that the designer tried to convey maybe? You might have mentioned this, Lee, uh, as the reason why China probably banned it <laughs> during COVID. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Although even before COVID, the tutorial had you begin in China, right? Which might connect to, I don't know, SARS or something. I really don't know, but it's a, it's something that players play. And when you when you have a hundred million players who play this tutorial, because everyone needs to understand how to play the game, otherwise it's very difficult to, to figure that out. A hundred million people play a game in which the game tells them, "Okay, you're going to start in China." And you wonder why there's significant racism involved in many of these things in the end. Right, and. You definitely get that, you get a lot of stereotypes, but in that sense, it's not how different is it from other forms of, let's say, popular culture, right? So movies or, or, or books, for example. I don't know, but as you said, if this is reaching 100 million people, you can see the problem right there. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that, that, that definitely is an issue. So does it have anything else in it in terms of maybe historical references or things like that? Yeah, so, so those are actually really big, right? So the game really tries to situate itself within, I guess, the real world of disease, the world and history of disease. So in the game, for example, every once in a while, you get these messages that just pop up and tell you that your disease is now, let's say, more infectious than historical disease X, or maybe more lethal than some other historical disease. So for example, after you pass 75 million deaths, you get a message that tells you, congratulations, your disease is now more lethal than the Black Death. So I wonder if we could have also been consultants on this, Lee, and to give them the proper number of deaths for some of these things, which I imagine they probably don't get correct. 
Yeah, they don't get it correct. They don't care that much about it. But they are trying to, to, to compare you and the game to the real world, which is, an, again, an interesting design choice, I mean, these connections. Another way in which they're trying to do that is, is with music, right? So the soundtrack of this game. It's supposed to get you in the mood. So every once in a while, you might, let's say, hear a person coughing as, as part of the soundtrack, right? So you're playing the game and you hear people cough. Or one, every once in a while, you, you might hear the, the Ring Around the Rosies song, which is supposed to be about plague. Yeah, that song's not about plague. But in any case, what's kind of remarkable is that people want to hear sounds coming out of their phone. They want to hear like fake coughing sound. Um, <laughs> that seems a little strange. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's part of, again, getting you into the mood or, or the, the atmosphere of playing. It didn't really work for me. I, I thought it was funny, but I guess it works for other people. Yeah, that's fair, I suppose. Okay, so I think... Uh, Thanks for the overview of both games, both Pandemic and Plague Inc. I think, you know, I might actually give Pandemic a try at some point. I almost guarantee you I will never play Plague Inc. Unless it was purely for a project of ours, Lee, about this last part about history. Or for a way to me becoming a board game, video game, historical consultant. I think that I would do it. Yeah, if you get a job in that industry, please do call me up. Yeah, then I can swim in my own buckets of money. And, you know, <laughs> we can all be happy, I suppose. Yeah, so, so I guess that before we wrap things up, so let's discuss really a related topic. Right? So, uh, now what have you been playing lately, Merle, if, if anything? Now, I know you said actually that you don't really play games in general, so let's expand this to playing with your kids. So what do you do? I mean, other than really shaming people who aren't wearing masks and walking in front of you in the street. Um, you know, I'll tell one game, one real game that my kids like to do and then one kind of funny game. The real game is they've gotten really big into building amazing towers, which are these giant Lego blocks, and they'll build them. They're multiple colors. They'll build them as high as they can. Um, and they're getting better and better at making them actually structurally stable even. So uh, is that a brand, Amazing Towers? No, it's because we compliment them. and We say, that's an amazing tower. And so now they come up to us after they built it, and they say, this is an amazing tower. Um, but so that's one thing that they play. The other right. thing... That, so, so how tall are these towers? I mean, your kids are what, like four feet at this, uh, three feet, maybe? Yeah, they can build them taller than themselves now. Okay. Um, yeah, so they're pretty tall. The other game that they like to play is they really like uh, cleaning gloves. You know, those big, heavy rubber cleaning gloves that come in like multiple colors. Do you have those in Israel? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they're in like fun colors, like purple and red and green. So they like to take them and put them on and run around the house wearing cleaning gloves. <laughs> and I'm not sure that's a game, though. They have fun. I mean, what they do now is when I bring like a, a little plastic glove, which I use when I pump gas for the car, that I put that on and just like throw it out. It's like my only time where I wear a glove that I'm particularly cautious just because it's a gas station. So I feel that's like a particular spot of dirtiness. 
but they will bring a glove in the car now, one of the colored gloves, and they'll put on their glove and pretend to pump the gas when they're in the car. Oh, that is cute. Yeah, and again, cute and also slightly disturbing, right? I mean, this is something <laughs> that they would never have picked up if it wasn't for COVID. So, you know, cute and disturbing all at the same time. Yeah. And what about you, Lee? What have you been doing with your daughter now that she's, you know, kind of alive and a real human? <laughs> so yeah, she's, she's a half a year old. We've been going to the local playground pretty frequently over the last, let's say, month or so. So, so it's really once every three or four days now. And she likes the swing. So, so they have like this baby swing, which the baby can lie. Now that she's starting to crawl, I also put her on one of the platforms from which children can slide. Now, she doesn't like the slide, but just crawling on the platform with like and looking down through these small holes is very exciting for her. Yeah, it's much more exciting when they can like do stuff. Yeah, but then they also start running around. <laughs> and you have to like catch them or something and not let them run into the street or something. Catch them or I guess something. I'll, I'll get to that point at some point in the future. Yeah, yeah. Now you can train them about streets, so that's not that hard, right? Yeah, one of the things in the playgrounds is that you see other kids and then what they do. So you kind of get a spoiler of how your kid might be in like, I don't know, like a year or two. It's, it's been interesting. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so I guess that on this uh, more playful note, we can wrap up this episode. So until next time, stay safe, stay socially distanced, and maybe try out a board game or video game or two. <laughs>